1: Hello and welcome. It's another Books of the Year podcast from your very good friends at Books of the Year.
2: We are here again. We are sailing towards Christmas. There's just a few more weeks to go. I'm not sailing towards Christmas. Are you not? You're not sailing towards Christmas. Are you sailing away from Christmas? It's November. It's November. Yes, it is. I mean, who knows when this goes out, but yeah, November. It's... it's, The time is... It's too soon to be thinking about Uh, Do you know what? I've already started. We went at the weekend and bought some presents. So already the Christmas so wrong. the Christmas fabulousness has already started. I yeah, have an house. email
1: here from Libby, who wrote to Books the year at Yahoo.com, which is fortunately our email address. Yes, uh, Libby says, Hello, boys. I just wanted to uh, drop you a quick note to say thank you for all the recommendations this year. When you were talking to Steve Kavanagh the other day, Matt was talking about dust covers. Steve talked about his novel 13. What a cover. I had to hunt around, but I found the book. It's a great read, and I've fallen in love with a new author, which is kind of what we're here for. Mm. Thank you again, says Libby P.S. Star of the North is
2: still a favourite. Goodness me, that's going way back. That's the North Korean one, isn't it? Star of the North. Um, I I would maintain Steve Kavanagh has done the best sell on books this year, both on his own and on other books, because... Every single book he mentioned in his Q&A and also his own. I thought, oh, yes, I fancy a bit of that. <laughs> fancy right, a yeah. bit of that. Uh, Dineke Tenhoover on Twitter says, Just finished Hitler-Stalin Mum and Dad. Great book and so important to read, especially the way things are at the moment. Yes. Um, the pod with Daniel was brilliant and gave me a lot more background on the book, which I needed. Uh, remember, if um, absolutely,
1: Dineke is absolutely right. Yeah. And, um, in that, those words, she says, the way things are at the moment, that's precisely right. Yeah. So, that is one of the books that uh, makes extra uh, important reading, I think. If you'd like to get in touch, email at any time, year at yahoo.com. We're on Twitter at booksoftheyear. I know it's X, but we don't call it that. No. And we're on Instagram and threads at PickanyPage. Uh, our special guest today is best selling author. John, i was going to say friend of the show but what that actually because lots of programs talk about friend of the show it just means someone who's on a lot yeah yeah someone who who likes to come on the show yes so let's talk to best-selling author who likes to come Come on 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 our show (laughs) john boyne (laughs) And how fantastic to have John Boyne uh, back in our studio. John, how are you doing? Nice to see you. I'm very well. Good to see you. Is that a goatee uh, beard you're growing uh, <laughs> there
0: it's, it's my excuse for one. As <laughs> much good. as I can squeeze
1: out. It looks grand. You're only in the UK briefly, I think, just on a, a little book tour?
0: Yeah, I've been here for about five days now, and in Leicester and Cambridge and London and Southwold and Tring, um, reading, uh, doing some festivals. It's been really good. And how long has it been since you've done a little book tour? Yeah. Um, here, probably only a year ago, because All the Broken Places came out uh, last August. So I, I, I think I did uh, a bunch of cities then and some festivals to promote that. I'm usually back and forth. Dublin isn't too far. How long... Has, so so your book is Water. It's one of a quartet, uh,
1: which you've been working on the uh, the traditional elements. This is not the, the periodic table, because I've done that, and you're not muscling yeah. in on that. And also, there are 118 elements in the periodic table. Now, that's a series. Yeah, 118 <laughs>
0: books would be beyond even me, I'm afraid. Uh, come on, that's a year's worth of writing, <laughs> you know, at least. So
1: when... I'm intrigued as, as to whether the idea emerged fully formed as a quartet, or whether you had an idea of an overarching story and then divided it up? Where, where did this idea come from? It,
0: it didn't start with the idea of a quartet. It started really with just the first book, Water. And I was writing that, and I, I thought it was going to be quite a short book, and I felt a very quiet book. And as you know, I've written a lot of very long books and some historical ones that I, in my head are sort of loud and noisy books. And I just wanted to write something short and quiet, And when I finished the first draft of water and that theme was running all the way through it, and I was going to title the the book that, it just occurred to me one day that actually, you know, there's the four classical elements, water, earth, fire, and air. And I thought, well, maybe I could write four of these books. And, you know, I just sort of threw it around in my head for a while. And I presented the idea then to my editor. And I wasn't sure whether he would think it was a, you know, commercial idea or not. But Fortunately, I had the draft of Water to show him so I could show him what what exactly I was talking about. And then the concept of a minor character from each becoming the narrator of the next one. So there would be four standalone books, but with with themes in common, with characters in common. And he read it and he said, yeah, let's go for it. Sounds good. He's a very wise man. He is a (laughs) wise man. He has some good authors, Simon, doesn't he? (laughs) I should also mention that
1: um, if you've heard our Terry Hayes' conversation it's the same it's editor. it's
0: the
2: same editor <laughs> so All right.
1: terry is right. so this is the polar opposite so terry hayes produces hundreds of thousands yeah. of pages thousands, yeah. uh, and john can do that but he hasn't here just before we go any further matt just describe the uh, the cover that we're looking
2: yes, at. yes so uh, as you'd expect uh given that the title is water uh water dominates uh this uh front cover and it's a uh, the Bottom half is bubbles and and the azure blue of the sea, and then above it the, the sort of steel-grey sky. Uh, author of The Heart's Invisible Furies at the top. Water is the big, bold title. John Boyne uh, picked out in white and bold at the bottom. And then from The Observer, one of the most assured novelists of his generation. So does your idea make this kind of episodic, almost? It's like It's almost like... A f- so it's four
1: standalone books, but they... They connect with each other. It also kind of feels almost like a screenplay for, for standalone films.
0: Yeah, and the way we're actually doing it is because they're going to be produced every six months, but they're going to be in hardback. But at the end, we're going to band them all up as the elements. So then, you know, a reader can read it from start to finish. But I also think you can read them in any particular order, even though it would be wiser probably to read them in the order that I bring them out. I, I was very clear in my head that they had to work as individual stories themselves. I'm, I'm not crazy about the idea of having to read other books in order to read one book. You know, that you. I, I think it's better that they, they should work individually. So I've, I've kept that in my focus as I've gone, that while there will be interconnecting characters and interconnecting ideas, that will work best for the reader of all four, but it won't ruin the experience if you haven't. Did you find that quite exciting? I did. I've never done something like that before. Uh, so it was quite a challenge. But I guess there was a moment around the start of number three, where, you know, I'm sort of too far away from the beginning and too far away from the end. And I found it because the third book, Fire, is the most difficult, was, was the most difficult thematically to write. And there was moments there where I really had to summon all my writerly energy and tell myself, I can do this. I can do this. Uh, because I, I was starting to get quite stressed by it. And then the fourth one writing that air was in some ways the. I haven't finished that yet. I only just finished the first draft, but it it sort of flowed along quite well in the first draft, maybe because I could see the end in sight and I knew exactly how I wanted to end the sequence. And I was working my way towards that. Whereas with the first three, I suppose, I never quite knew where the book was going to end until I reached it.
1: Matt and I both responded with great enthusiasm when your book arrived for two reasons. One, most importantly... It's short. No, it's... <laughs> no. I'm coming to that. That's number two. One, it's a new John Boyne book, yeah, yeah, which yeah. you're always very enthusiastic about. Two, it's short. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, after Terry Hayes, this is just <laughs> such a delight. Uh, and I know it's like a truism that, you know, a, bo- a story is as long as it, as it needs to be. But this is just a fantastic... Wonderful story. Um, looking forward already to the other three, which being the machine that you are, John, you've, as you've just explained, we're kind of, you're almost there. You're almost uh, finished. Introduce us to
0: Water. Introduces to the woman at the heart of this story. The narrator of Water is a woman called Vanessa Carvin, and she arrives on this island off the west coast of Ireland, it's an unnamed island, but it basically based it on um, Inish Ore, which is one of the Aran Islands. It's where, when I was a teenager, um, I went to the Gale uh, I'm sure some of your listeners will know that's where it's kind of a summer camp for kids in Ireland, where theoretically you go there at age 15, 16 to learn Irish. In practice, you go there for other reasons, well, shall we say. Really? <laughs> Is that right? Um, and, uh, but it's a very isolated community, 400 people on the island. She's gone through a trauma in her personal life. Her husband has been, the, for many years, the head of the National Swimming Federation. And he has been tried and convicted and imprisoned on charges of child abuse against eight girls in his care. So she goes there. Having spent a year really in the limelight in Ireland, in the newspapers, on the TV shows, really being hounded uh, all the way, she doesn't know whether she has enabled this behaviour or not over the years. And she wants to discover that. So she wants to go and just spend this time alone. She's never really been alone in her life. She's lived, you know, she's been a daughter, she's been a wife, she's been a mother. She wants to be on her own and just think. And in this book, over 15 short chapters, she just meets different people on the island. And in her conversations with them, each of those conversations kind of makes her reflect on her life with her husband, Brendan, and her life with her two daughters and really come to terms with what has happened and, and answer the question for herself, did I enable this behaviour? Did I know what was going on? And did I do nothing about it?
1: One of the delights of the book, although you've you've explained the territory that we're in, is the, is the way you drip-feed the information in. So when, when we arrive with her at the beginning of the book, and she changes her name right at the very beginning, we are as lost as she is, it feels. And we're visiting this island for the first time because we haven't done the Irish lessons um, that you have. And I love that feeling of, of being remote, cut off, no Wi-Fi, no friends. I felt as though we were going through it with her.
0: Yeah, that's good. I'm glad because um, I, I wanted the reader to have that experience, to be sort of... Baffled at the start by what was going on, the no Wi-Fi thing was very important. Absolutely. I thought at the start that it was one of those, things and she doesn't have a television set either. And that when she first arrives in this cottage, it's it's like stepping back in time for her. And at first, that's kind of a panicking experience. But then she realizes actually, no, this is beneficial. This is something something good. You know, I can I I I won't be on my phone all the time. I won't be, you know, on the internet constantly. Especially having had a year where she knows full well that she has been. You know, one of the they say, like, you know, every day there's a villain on Twitter, you know, and she spent a year with her husband being a year of, of that. So I, I think that remoteness. And that isolation and um, just drawing back to nature in a way is good for her her mental health and good for her helping to understand the past
2: uh, like simon um john i love that the the sort of the opening pages of the book where you're not sure what's what or in fact you don't know at all what is going on you just know this woman has come onto this island and is changing her name so you know something has happened and on the way here i was thinking how are we going to talk about this book without talking about what her husband has been convicted of now you've you've
0: Well, I think it's important to say it because actually it's the overriding theme of the four Mm. books. And in the four books, I'm looking at the issue of abuse, but from four different perspectives. So in this first book, Water, it's about the idea of the enabler. In the second book, Earth, it's about complicity. It's about a crime taking place in front of somebody who does nothing to stop it. In the third book, it's from the point of view of a criminal, somebody doing that act. But in that book, it's a female protagonist. And the fourth book, from the point of view of a victim. All four different crimes, uh, they're, they're all abuse related, but as I say, four different stories entirely. But to look at it in the round from that and to try to understand that subject of abuse from these four different places.
2: That's it. right. So I had no idea that that was that. That's that that's the the route those four books are going to take. That's really interesting. I I wanted to um, talk to you about. There's a sequence towards the end, but this is not going to give away any spoilers or anything. But um, the central character is is confronted about whether she did know, whether whether she was enabling it, and she says something. Um, uh, never even to notice, never even to suspect. That's what shames me the most. That's what makes me question myself. Was I blind or just stupid? And it it stopped me in in my tracks because I I was reading it thinking, "You you didn't do this. It was your husband that did this. And maybe you might have suspected, but how quickly everyone decided that you must have known. You're his wife. You must have known. And there are a couple of times in the book where people just basically decide we are lumping you in with him, even though... You didn't know. And there's no evidence
0: to suggest Mm -hmm. that she did know. It's the, you must have known. I think we all do that, don't we? When we see something on television, a crime that's been committed, maybe a public figure, and we say, oh, you know, the wife, she was in on it. Or otherwise, the husband, he was in on it. There's no way they didn't know. We're very quick to judge people. Um, It's probably just human nature to do that. But the most important person who needs to judge that is herself here. And she is asking that question and it's important for her to know. You know, complicity is the theme that runs through so many of my books. A History of Loneliness, it's there. All the Broken Places, it's there. Um, Striped Pajamas, even, it's there. And it's definitely here. And I think a lot of that is because when we talk about these crimes, growing up in Ireland in the 80s and 90s, a very small number of people were committing these crimes, the priests or the lay teachers or whatever. But a very vast majority of people knew they were going on. And that's always been the thing that's fascinated me. Uh, Criminal behaviour doesn't interest me so much because I think if you're, you know, a serial killer or something, then there's probably just something wrong with you. But it's the people who know that it's happening and do nothing to stop it. To me, that's always the thing, like, why? Why wouldn't you stop it? Why wouldn't you stop that happening? Uh, So that's why I wanted to go for these four different perspectives in these books.
1: Is there a moment in... In this book, or the introduction of a particular character, which is the moment that you thought, oh,
0: this isn't a standalone book, that this is part of a four? I, I think it was only when I finished the first draft of it and, when, you know, at the end of the book, well, I won't say what the end happens, but, no. you know, that the, she gets to the end of her story. But I felt, um, I, I, I think I just felt that the theme in it, there was so much more to write about and it was there's a big park across from my house in in Dublin i walked there several times a day and it was when i was walking around it thinking about this and i and it just occurred to me i just thought water you know you've got three others you know we could there are so many ways i could i could do this and i really loved the idea of having some small character in this book who would then pick up the story in the next book and moving on and on again and work its way all around i thought that's an interesting way to to write a, a novel
1: i loved the the people on the island that she meets um, I can hear the I can hear them speak I'm, I'm not sure what the what the colloquial Irish is that that you're describing to us but in my head um, I can I can hear all these characters and I liked most of them like most of them is there a is there an Irish dialect that we should have running in our heads
0: here um not really but I do I do love writing dialogue I have to say it's it's my favorite thing and I, I I, I always think in a novel, uh, the two things, you know, when I talk to students, creative writing students or something, I say, if you're if you're stuck, either like make people laugh or get people talking in the book. And that will, you know, once characters are talking, the plot will move along. And a lot of this book is very conversationally based, you know, just uh, I think, you know, early on the first moment when um, Mrs. Duggan, the neighbour from next door, you know, ascend descends into the house and starts screaming at her about the cat that she's feeding, a, uh, a cat with irritable bowel syndrome and lactose intolerance. <laughs> and, um, and you know, and, and Willow is sort of, you know, I, I didn't know that a cat could have such refined notions and The important thing in those conversations is that suddenly she starts to realise, she thinks that the people on this island are basically a bit thick, you know, and just don't know anything of the world. But they surprise her time and again with the things that they do know. And they they put her prejudices a little bit at bay. But the the dialect, um, probably just a traditional kind of rural Irish accent. Um, I wonder how much
1: anger there is in your writing here because there is a fantastic sequence where um in fact it finishes with she's known as willow to you know for, yeah. for, you know for most of the time our central character she finishes off the speech by saying oh i have such anger and she's been describing traditional catholicism traditional christian teaching and how male it is and the disciples and wondering what they might have done what they might have done and there was um it says on the front the heart's invisible furies and i wonder if I don't know
0: i just wondered if you were still furious no no, I'm not, because I I have been able to get out a lot of my anger and, you know, fury, as I say, um, at what happened in Ireland during those years and things that happened to me as a kid. I've been able to get it out in writing and I've been really lucky that, that 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 somehow I've got that skill. I can do that. You know, recently, in the last couple of years, I've been involved um, in, a, in a court case against one of my teachers um, and the, there was a substantial amount of us who were taking that case and it had gone to the DPP and he was brought to court. The trial date was set for March and then he died in August. You know, he was in his 80s, he died of natural causes. So we don't have that opportunity to confront him in court. Unlike my fellow litigants in that, I have the opportunity to write about it and to talk about it, you know, in in forums like this. And in doing that, I've been very fortunate because I can work all those feelings out for myself in the stories I tell. My friends from that time are not so lucky in that. You know, they they don't have that that platform um, to do that. So, I, I feel my rage has has dissipated a long time ago. I think writing history of loneliness that you mentioned, Matt. Um, I think that was around two thousand fourteen or something. Uh, began that process for me of being able to to work all that out in my head. Whereas before that, say in my thirty, my twenties, even to my early thirties, I was really I I was there was a lot of Anger inside me against the church, against Ireland, and I, I definitely needed to to work through that.
2: Uh, you, so you've mentioned history of loneliness, which I I <laughs> adored that book, and um, and you've talked about this uh, the, the, the almost catharsis that you've had through being able to write about it would you recognise as well that for people reading about it... I, I would say that I love reading books that are laced with righteous fury, and that doesn't need to be about abuse. It can be a, There are a number of books I've read this year which absolutely jump out to me as grabbing me by the scruff of the neck and, and pointing in my face and telling me, this is wrong and I'll tell you why. And I wonder whether... Do you appreciate how much of an effect that has on a reader to, to be able to read a book where there is fury coming off... Coming off the page, and you you find yourself confronted with it to begin with,
0: but you're absolutely brought round. Yeah, I mean, and that is what one. I, I mean, I want that kind of passion on the on the page. I remember um, in History of Loneliness a scene towards the end, um, towards one of the court cases uh, going on, and a man in a in a cafe in a coffee shop or something just losing his mind, really. You know, in 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 absolute anger. And there's a moment here in Water, in fact, where Willow is talking to a middle-aged man who has his own backstory about, you know, something terrible he's done in his life. And he's telling her, you know, that my problem is, you know, I I still feel like I'm a teenager, you know, I just feel, you know, and and he's expecting her to say, no, don't worry, you know, you're forgiven for the things you've done. And instead she blows up at him and she's like, no, you know, this is the problem with people like you. You're not a teenager, you're 60, you know, and it's women like me, she's saying, that have to pick up the all the trash that you leave in your wake when you commit these acts. And in the first draft, that ended differently. It was where she actually did sort of offer some sort of forgiveness to him. But in the Really? Yeah, and then when I got to the second draft and I read that, I was like, what am I, what am I thinking? No, what we need here is for her to, you know, basically overturn the table on him and say, no, no. You know, so I think when I read a book, I want to, I want to feel that anger in it as well. Or, you know, some sort of passion anyway, um, instead of blandness.
1: Which of the, I don't know if, if if you feel happy to to tell us this, but of the characters that we read in Water, how many make it through to your other stories? Some of them or all of them?
0: Uh, only a couple. Like The the narrator of the second book is um, a young man who's uh, whos in this book. He's only 16, 17 in this book, but we pick up his story a couple of years later. And there's a priest in this that shows up again in number two and number four. But I think that's all. Okay. Yeah. Can, can I ask you about... Because
1: the priest is Father Ifechi? Have I got his that's name right? That's right, yes. Well, tell us about him. I mean, I am in tri- I'm glad that he's
0: coming back because f-
1: it felt as though he had a lot to say.
0: Yes. And uh, when I got to the end of the first book, you know, it, it, I felt that myself, that there were some characters and he was one of them that could I could re- I could use again because he is a voice of... Uh, he's a sort of a moral voice in the book. He's there to talk. He talks to water. She's not religious, in any way, she doesn't want any part of religion anymore. But he's a he's a priest, but um I'm not trying to be facetious, he's he's also a very good man. Yeah, there's in the there's book. wisdom
1: in, in his countenance.
0: Yes, and he, like her, is a blow-in on the island. You know, he's from Nigeria and he's come there to be the priest on the island, she's come from Dublin. And, you know, they can sit outside the church on a bench and talk to each other. And sometimes he upsets her with the things he says, and sometimes he challenges her. But she, he's a, a friend, I think, and a wise friend. So I thought, yes, I'll use him again. Um, so I bring him back in number two, again, in just, just in one scene, but an important scene.
2: So I was rather hoping Mrs. Duggan was going to come back because no. I, she was a huge, <laughs> enormous fun. As you say, she just she belts through the door and you're just like, oh, I we are going to have fun with her. And it, whenever I'm reading a book like this, I always think... Um, which of these characters has the author had the most fun with when writing? And it struck me that Mrs. Doug, she, she has a great line at one point where she says, you'll be one of those, will you? And 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 she replies, what's that? Readers. One <laughs> of those readers. You read the books. And you well, Willow I... also
0: asks her, you know, well, what's your first name? And she says, Mrs.
2: Mrs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So was, was she one of those that you, you just uh, yeah. reveled in time the, with her?
0: The funny thing is, right, so the, the last four or five nights, I've been doing readings every night in different cities here in England. And that's the section I always read from. Uh, in, in a way, it's it's um, it's a strange one from this book because it's not a comic novel, but there's a lot of jokes. Oh, in, yeah. in that yeah, section, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's why I liked reading it the last few nights because it. Uh, I think if you can entertain an audience, that's that's always a good thing. So I had a lot of fun with her because she is she's she's like the madwoman of the island, but she also says a couple of things that are quite wise, and um, she. She kind of is friendly eventually with, with Willow in some strange way. But she's a bit of light relief uh, at times in yeah, the book. Yeah. But she only makes it, yeah, she doesn't reappear in other books.
1: <laughs> maybe she can have a standalone novel. Yeah, sure. maybe. Yeah.
0: Um, there are a couple of things that,
1: that you wrote. and I just thought, oh, that's interesting. I hadn't heard. It's a reference to a family of four being not quite a gentleman's family. I hadn't heard that idea of a gentleman's
0: family. Oh, in Ireland, yeah, we call it, a gentleman's family is a family of four where it's a mother and father and a son and a daughter. Right. Uh, so they have two daughters, but you don't, you don't have that phrase no, here, no. no, no, no. Uh, yeah, no. we have that, a gentleman's family. Why would it be family. a gentleman's family? I don't know, I don't know where it comes from. But kind it kind a m- um...
1: mythical idea of the perfect family, is
0: it? Yeah, I guess, because anytime uh, it would just be one of those things if your friends like have a a, a son, say, and then they have a daughter. You go, hi, gentleman's family. <laughs> I don't know where it comes from. <laughs> I'm going to use it. Yeah, yeah, I, I am. I am. I'm
1: going to... And the other was one of um, such, a, such a... I mean, obviously, this book is fantastically written. People who've, who've read your books will be familiar with that and expecting that. But you, there is an observation that you make about there being no word to define a parent who loses a child. And there is a word, obviously, for... A, uh, a wife who loses a husband, a husband who loses a wife. We have words... A child too. who loses a parent. Mm, yeah. An orphan. Yeah. But there isn't a word to define a parent who loses a child. And it just struck me as such a wise... Did, was that one of those things that occurred to you as you were as you were writing?
0: Yeah. It occurred to me as I was writing that chapter. And it struck me. And I thought to myself, that's true. There isn't. And I thought, you know, that's a very strange thing. That, yeah, you know, we have all these words for all these other things. And I think I say in that line in the book something along the lines of you know maybe because you know the language thinks that that's it's too unnatural a thing that we can't even have a word for it but it's a strange one isn't it that there isn't such I a, wonder if there are be interesting to find out get in touch if, if you know
1: of a language which has a word yeah? for mm. maybe other because english has a habit of nicking words from you know from from all over. It's surprising that that we haven't stolen a word from somewhere else because it would be of enormous use.
0: I wonder does no language have it though? Just because it's it, it's I think the worst thing that can possibly happen probably happen to any human being is to lose a child, um, and maybe we just don't want to have a word for that so that it doesn't happen. So like. it's unspeakable. Yeah, pretty much. Was the
1: we've made some reference? You know, you you you've talked about the four books and the fact that this is coming out, I think, about, it's under 200 pages. Was that always, was it always going to be a short story? Did you know that this was how it was going to turn up?
0: Yes. Um, I said to myself at the start, 40,000 words is a, is a good novella, you know, a nice short book. And I felt with the story in the book itself and the the very few characters, it just felt to me that it needed to be short, that I didn't want to, you know, just have any filler in it, any padding at all, just as tight as tight could be. And each of the books are 40,000 words. And I've been very clinical on that in in my writing of them, um, to just, you know, squeeze them tight. And, um, you know, I've written some very, very long books. You know, Hearts Invisible Furies is 2,000 words longer than Moby Dick. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) but, you know, you were saying about, like, a book has to be the length it has to be. And and sometimes... um, a very short book can read like it's a thousand pages and sometimes a very long book i'm i'm reading a book at the moment that's 650 pages long and i'm about halfway through it and i would be great i would happily have another 5 600 pages it's just flowing so brilliantly and it's so witty and clever that i'm just loving it um but i've read very short books that just you know take me 5 days to <laughs> slog my way through but i just i i always feel instinctively when i start a book i know how long it should be
2: I, I, as Simon's already mentioned, the writing is so good, and I knew from page one that I was going to love this book, and, and, and not just because I've I've loved your your books in the past. However, there is a sequence that I want to talk to you about, which I thought the writing was impeccable because it was just a very very simple device. It's when the uh, a Can I guess? Go on, go on.
0: Yeah, it's the politician the coming politician. to the island yeah, and yeah, he talks yeah. of this. He talks, he talks of that. While, while Matt is looking, just explain. I think it's on page 115. It is And I know that because somebody asked me to read it the other night and I had to look it up. So, so John, just <laughs> describe the scene that, that Matt's... So, it's, an election is happening and a politician comes to the island and everybody gathers in the church to listen to him. And the politician realize, knows that he has to appeal to everybody. He's not going to annoy anybody. He's going to appeal to absolutely everybody. So he just talks and he talks and he talks. And he talks of agriculture.
2: He talks of emigration. He talks of civil war politics. He talks of Bono and Sinead O'Connor. He talks of fishing quotas. He talks in English of his love for the Irish language. He talks in Irish of his love for Manchester United. He talks of Ukraine. He talks of his hernia operation. And it... Quite apart from what you've already said about, you know, I need to talk uh, about all of these different subjects, what that paragraph shouted out to me, and I've only read small highlighted sections from it, is here is a man who's desperate... Who doesn't know his audience? So he's just going to try. I'm going to. It's grape shot time. I'm going to try and hit every single base because hopefully one of you is going to go. Oh yeah, no, no. Maybe he's talking to me. But it's also insincerity. I don't really care about any of these things. But I figure you lot probably will. And it's just that paragraph without having to say any of those things. You just d- distill it into this one paragraph, and we know exactly who this guy is.
0: Oh, thanks. I I, I enjoyed writing that. Part. And he's also asked by, uh, I think it was an elderly man in the church, how he voted on the equal rights marriage referendum. And his answer is such a politician's one. He said um, he voted no at the time, but now he would vote. The world hasn't fallen off its axis. So now he would vote yes. So basically, everybody in the audience mm. is pleased with this answer, you know, which is, I guess, what politicians do. Mm. Who do you have in mind? Um, nobody in particular, but there's a lot of those kind of old rural TDs in Ireland, you know, TDs are our MPs who kind of pass the seat down from father to son to son, you know, that it's, 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 um, like it's the 18th it's a century, feudal, yeah, thing that uh, the politician in this book, in fact, his father, he says, was the constituency TD before him and you know, his son will be after him. And it's a thing that always irritates me in Ireland when that happens. I mean, you don't have some sort of God-given right to... To this seat that is odd because i'm not sure that that really <coughs> happens here i mean obviously we've got you know
2: lords and and yeah. dames and stuff like that but i don't think we have mps there's think... not many mps i can think of who are sort of passing the seat down father to son or mother to daughter. no i don't
0: think so it's it's pretty common in ireland mm.
2: that's very interesting yeah. i wonder if you at the
1: beginning of our conversation john you were talking about i think it was the third book and you were saying you, you were kind of stuck or you were struggling mm. or there was is that because and given the outline of the four books that you've given us, is that because you're taking this into some dark places? Is that is that why it was difficult?
0: Yeah, because as I mentioned, the third book is written from the point of view of, of a paedophile. And it's a, a woman in her 30s who's abusing 14-year-old boys. And I'm trying to write 40,000 words from her perspective, trying to keep the reader not on her side, but engaged with her um, and trying to understand what would bring her to that, to do those things and, you know, inventing a backstory that will not justify her behavior, but that will make, hopefully make the reader think about what's happened to her in her life. Because I think we have to ask those questions about those people, about what, you know, what brought them there. But to spend, you know, eight months or whatever it was in that person's voice, in that person's head, thinking about it all the time, I found that quite, um, it, it weighed down on me. It really weighed down on me um, in a way that no book I've ever written before did. And perhaps that's why when I started Air, the fourth one, uh, which is, as I said, from the point of view of a victim, I it, I was filled with sort of a lightness because I, wa- I knew I wanted the victim to have survived, you know, to be a positive guy. I want to end this on a positive note. This is somebody who's going to be thriving. And it sort of lifted my spirits in a way in writing that. Um, there was just one other thing I want I wanted to ask you, which is about lifeing about.
1: Uh, writing about life on an island. One of my favourite TV series of recent years, as, which has got nothing to do with you, with your book at all, is called Midnight Mass, uh, and it's kind of a horror-inflected book, book, and it's it's set in a small island community off like the west coast of yeah, America, yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. Anyway, and it it goes into some seriously dark places. But there is something about small island communities which give um, a story a particular. Feel. I don't know if it's an oppressive feeling or very whether it's a community feeling. I don't know. Did it feel different to you to to write this? Just because you don't really, we don't really leave the island, do we?
0: No, no, we don't. Um, other than sort of the the, the flashbacks yeah. to what brought her there, but we, you know, we we start with her arriving and we end with her leaving, and it's her time there. It's um, it is good, I think, for a storyteller to limit themselves to that small place and that small community and it was different for me because you know because I have written sort of much broader books in the past that have multiple characters and storylines and things going on it was it was a challenge and it's but it was, it was interesting the only thing I can kind of compare it to was uh, it must be I don't know 15 16 years ago when I wrote a novel on the bounty and the long section in it where I have Captain Bly and the 16 guys on the little dinghy you know going back just the the after the mutiny happens, and I had—I think I wrote thirty thousand words of them there on that little boat, and nothing is happening, <laughs> you know. And you have to, but you still have to make it engaging. And it's like, what, what will I have them to do today? You know, find a bird flying over and try to kill it. But it, it, if I did it right, you know, it would still make the reader turn the pages. So it's—it can be challenging, but—but but rewarding at the same time. Do you know? Obviously, so you've—you've you've told us about the
1: four books. Do you already have a dream of what's coming next?
0: Yes. I do. Of course, of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of knew that the It's answer. been bubbling up in my head okay. for a while now. I won't say what it is, but it's, I... I, I what is it? I, no, I'm not going to say. But it's um, it's a pretty good idea, I think. And um, I've already told my editor, our editor, about it, and he's he's sold on it. So I'm quite looking forward to getting to it because it's, it's going to be much more lighthearted. And I can, I think it's good for me creatively to move from something dark to something bright. Okay. Well, we're looking forward
1: to all of those. That's so uh, that's already four books that you've uh, that we're looking forward to, but for the moment the uh, the new book from John Boyne is Water. There'll be more conversation with John in our standalone podcast uh, with our Q&A which will be available uh, in a few days time, but for the moment John, thank you very much. Thank you.